I like you tying it into the mental health aspect because I've seen a lot in anger management where somebody comes back from war after being trained to to fight, to kill, to take care, to protect us. Um, and all of a sudden they come back here and you, you hit the nail on the head, expected to resume life naturally. And then stuff comes up and people respond intensely. And then there's judgment around that. And I think we both kind of agree that that judgment is unnecessary, unwarranted, and it's something we'd love to address. Right. It's, it's profoundly difficult for veterans to come back and, you know, assimilate back into the culture that we have here in a peaceful culture when they've been trained to be fighting and killing machines in many circumstances. And then they come back here and many times people here are against the war that they were there for or are against, you know, conflict that is happening abroad. And so veterans are judged for what they've done to protect our country. Put that on top of the mental and physical aspects they're dealing with already. It can be a very frustrating and depressing experience for them when they make it to our door or to your door. And and something that I think that we'll address tonight during this show is the the pain, the psychological pain ends up manifesting physically at times because you see that. Right, it does. And that is the, the tie-in between psychological suffering and physical pain and suffering. It, they're, they're very enmeshed. It is actually very difficult to tease them apart. Um, as a pain physician, um, I make it very clear to patients that I understand that anxiety and depression go along, go hand in hand with the physical pain that they're experiencing due to whatever disease processes they have. With veterans, it's automatically there. Many of them come to us with typical physical complaints, but when we we know that they've served um, and and put their lives at risk and um, done things that they can't even speak of in many cases, laying that on top of their physical pain makes their existence so much more challenging. It does, and you brought up a good point about they go to places and see things that we don't see, and now we're faced with the task of either caring enough to ask, tell me about what you saw, on trying to understand or shutting it down, going the other way and saying, oh, uh, you just saw stuff. I can't understand it, so I don't even think about it. And I think all too often we go that second route. Most people just, oh, well, it's, I can't grasp it anyway. So, Right. We, we probably couldn't fully grasp it even if we tried our hardest. It's impossible to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes all the time. However, just like anybody else coming into the office with a physical pain complaint, understanding the mental construct behind it is – key to understanding how they perceive the pain that they actually feel, you know, their lives, their world, what it was then, what it is now, um, it's not, it's not, it's not, we're not able to separate that from the pain that they're feeling, just as anybody else who maybe fell off a horse or fell off a ladder or worked in a coal mine for 30 years has pain and has psychological issues that go along with that, a veteran also has those things. It's impossible to treat them without understanding or trying to understand as much as I can about it. Yeah, and I'm and listen, I'm so excited to have you back on the show. Um I you know, I've quoted you a couple times on shows when you haven't been here. Um you made a great uh comment uh when you want on one of the shows where you talked about if someone comes in and is judgmental and says well, it's all in their head, the truth is everything's in our head because our brain's there. So <laughs> Right. We everything we perceive is in our head. So patients will often say, Well, I don't know if I'm actually feeling this or if it's just in my head. And my response to them is it's all in your head. You are feeling it. Your brain is perceiving uh, a complaint, uh, a physical issue, and, and your your own mental construct is layered on top of that. So there's no way for us to know what pain feels like in another human being, right? It, we, we, I, I don't treat imaging and MRIs and, you know, lab results, I treat a person. And so I automatically believe a person's perception of their pain because that's what my job 
demands that I do. Right. And this is what's different about you is why I'm excited for um, my audience to get to hear you and hear more from you is how much effort you, how much care you put into the people you work with. I, I think that's a key statement right there of just looking at somebody and saying, I care enough to know what's going on in your head. I believe the reason why people say it's just in your head is an attempt to minimize it's just, oh, if it's just in your head. Listen, if it's in your head, it's still an obstacle. So whether it's physical, mental, whatever, it's an obstacle. But I have a phenomenal doctor in the studio with me today to talk about it, Dr. Nishant Gandhi, pain and spine specialist. Um, we're going to get to a whole bunch tonight. He's here with me the whole show. This is Emotional Management. The number is 866-391-1020. Maybe you have a question for Dr. Gandhi. Uh, maybe you have a question for me. Maybe we tie all this stuff in together. We want to see you doing well mentally, physically, spiritually. 866-391-1020 is the number. This is Emotional Management on KDKA Radio. Welcome back to Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. In studio with me, Dr. Nishant Gandhi, pain and spine specialist, uh, really just a master craftsman at understanding pain, how to handle it, and how to treat it. Um, so glad to have you back on the show. It's great to be back, Dr. Conti. Always uh, happy to be here. What are you reading there? I see you reading a book there. I see your book here. <laughs> um, so I was uh, really lucky to get an advanced copy of your book. Uh, walking through anger, autographed by you as well. Before it came Before out. Before it even came <laughs> out. Um, and so, you know, I would say this, you know, after reading, you know, reading the book, it, it's really, it's a blueprint for life. Um, it is a way to walk through your daily interactions with people, be able to see your own part in all of your interactions, understand that the self that you bring to every interaction you have is not perfect. And through doing that, Recognize that other people aren't perfect also, giving them the benefit of the doubt, um, being mindful of your own emotions, your physical uh, appearance, um, the way that you present yourself, start discussions, and use all those tools to have better interactions with people on a daily basis. Man, I I feel grateful that uh, you re you already read it, That's, uh, so it was easy read? Easy read. Easy read because I just found myself nodding as I was reading it, understanding that Everything that you talk about is are things that I strive to do on a daily basis already. I, like everybody else, have my own weaknesses, my own character defects, my own things that I have to work on. The book reminded me of some of those things also. However, living my life you know, in a spiritual way has enabled me to connect with people uh, in a much stronger fashion. And so this book is a reminder of some of those tools that I sometimes use intuitively – and sometimes need reminders to, to use every day. And so and so do I. I mean, we all do. That's why I say there are two kinds of people. We're I'm always I've always sat with people and said I'm here with you because we're all I, I might see one side, you might see another side, but I'm here with you. Like this is not. I, it's about breaking down the walls of judgment. I think we're so hard on other people. And we give ourselves a pass a lot. Like, ah, it was no big deal what I did. I didn't mean that. Right. And, and so that's it. Uh, actions speak louder than words. We, we, yeah. You know, our intentions are, are helpful, but aren't the end all be all. People don't necessarily know what we meant by doing something. We may be perceived in ways that we don't understand. Um, that's often, it can often be a source of a lot of conflict. Um, we don't understand or aren't fully aware of the way that we are perceived by other people. And when other people then criticize what we've done or how we've acted, we immediately rush to get defensive because that's our natural uh, state of being is to project ourselves as perfect and without fault. 
However, when somebody does criticize the way we acted, our, our actions should be to look at our own self, look inward and say, well, I didn't really mean it that way, but maybe I can see why this other person perceived why that, why, why what I said might have been offensive to them or may have put them on their heels or made them feel angry or hurt or disappointed. And so by looking inward and being mindful of how we present ourselves, we can have better relationships with other people. I, and the reason you being as mindful as you are is the reason why I would love people to be able to have an opportunity to be able to come see you if they need to. I have a question for you. So when someone comes in and they do express what's going on, what is your thought? What is your thought process? What goes through your mind? Someone says, hey, I'm in pain. You can't see it yet. They're just telling you. Right. And so when, when a new patient comes to the office, um, they are they obviously feel a certain way, you know, due to the actions of many people before me and, you know, the, the, the place where we live and how pain management is perceived amongst people that don't really understand it, patients that come into the office are already feeling you know, possibly somewhat shameful about you know their existence. Uh, the fact that they need to go to a pain doctor because something is going on with them. They come in, they sit down, they get their vitals taken, they get a history done by our medical assistants, and then I, I hear the story from the medical assistant, okay, why is this patient here today? The stories are vast, they, they could be varied, um, many, many different types of complaints come in. I hear the story. I, I don't p- place judgment on it. And I walk into the room, and I, the first thing I do is I immediately validate the patient. Mm. And I, I usually say, wow, you've been through a lot. That must really suck. Um, it seems like you've done this and this and this, and it hasn't worked for you. Um, I, uh, you you've been suffering a long time. That immediate validation um, removes some of that shame from them. You can see some relief melt over them. Wow, this doctor gets me. This doctor understands. This doctor believes me. This doctor knows I'm not just here trying to get something. Yeah. And and that is the key to building the relationship to start. You mentioned in your book, right? Validation is the key to building relationships. If you're yeah. not validating what the other person is giving you, whether it's something they're saying to you because they're angry, as we talk about in, in your book, or whether you're a doctor seeing them and they're coming to you with a complaint, if you validate them immediately and quickly – that makes them more willing to connect with you, and that makes the relationship more therapeutic. And one of the ad- things to keep in mind as you validate, I talk about is you don't validate somebody till you like check the box. Okay, I've, I, I, I did, I did validate you. It's you validate them until they get that emotion out. And if you can read people, you know when that emotion's out. Right. And, and that, you're right. It definitely can take longer sometimes. Sometimes it's instantaneous. Sometimes it takes a while. I have no way of knowing the defenses um, that a person has built up inside of them towards other physicians or towards other people when explaining their pain. They may have been to several doctors. They may have several relatives. They may have a lot of people that they've told about this, and nobody's believed them. Every person that has not believed them or has not validated them adds another layer to that shell. So that makes my validation all the more important with that person and may take a little bit longer. I can recognize the signs of when it's happening once I've validated they can tell me their story a little bit better. And then, so validation and listening in the beginning and then coming up with a plan together. I can't even go to the plan until I've validated and I've listened. And but, that's what your book talks about. And and it's a big difference when when someone comes in and they say it and you take them at face value. It's much different. And I, here's the key. So many people along the way who didn't validate them contributed to why they're feeling more defensive at first. And I see this in counseling, too. Someone comes in right away, and they will overemphasize it. I'm not saying that they'll come back and tell me later. I felt like I had to say so much at first. Overemphasize it because no one was believing them. Right. 
And so if nobody believes them over and over and over again over a period of weeks or months or years, they will feel the need to embellish. They will feel the need to uh, make up extra things, whatever the case may be. As a doctor who's been seeing patients for a long time, I can see when that's happening, yeah. um, which, again, makes the validation so much more important. Be like, look, man, I believe you. I, I can see your MRI. I can see what you've been through. You spent 20 years in a coal mine. I, I get it. Right. I know it hurts right away. And then it's like, oh, I don't have to I don't have to say all this stuff now. Right. And now this doctor really wants to help me. And so now we're going to talk about what we're going to do, whether it's you go to physical therapy, whether it's a little bit of medication, whether it's an injection, whatever the case may be. We have a place to go to together, right? And I always tell patients we're doing this together, right? We're going to order the study. We're going to do this. You're going to come back in a month. You're going to tell me how we're doing. We're going to fine-tune it again. I lay out the plan for them once we validate it and once I've listened. It's. I want you all to be able to have a chance to uh, see him. We're going to be here the whole two hours, so we have plenty of time to get the information out. But if you're tuning in now, I'm in studio with Dr. Nishant Gandhi, pain management, pain and spine specialist of Pennsylvania. Look, offices are every Bridgeville, Washington, Connorsville, Greensburg, Pleasant Hills, and you have one coming soon in Uniontown. Yeah, we're open up in Uniontown probably in January, February. That's awesome. So the number to pain and spine, pain and spine specialist is seven two four. 603-3560. We got a whole lot more to get to tonight, but let's say you have a question and you want to ask us, give us a call. 866-391-1020. That's 866-391-1020. This is Emotional Management on KDK Radio. Welcome back to Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. In studio with me, Dr. Nishant Gandhi, um, pain and spine specialist. Phenomenal doctor. In, uh, you're, you, the reality is, is you're kind to people. And do you find that's rare for even colleagues? And I, you know, I hear it from patients. People will say, "Wow, I've never met a doctor like you," or you know, "You seem to really like your job," or "Wow, it seems like you really care." I don't get that too much. I trained and spent a lot of time in New York City, working in Manhattan. It's such a saturated place. There's a lot of people there. There's a lot of doctors there. There's a certain way of practicing there where you really have to almost do the things that you talk about in your book on a daily basis in order for patients to even come to you. Right. So bringing that out here to, you know, Western Pennsylvania area, um, it seems as though it's a little more unique here to practice that way. And people will bring that up from time to time. But I think it's a strength. That's why I'm, I definitely will encourage our listeners to uh, to check you out. You have offices all over. But we'll, we're going to get to that. I want to get to some questions um, And when people write in. So here's a question from Terry Ann. She says, how do I deal with someone who has borderline personality disorder? Uh, my mother has been diagnosed with this. I know she's the one who passed her genetics on to me, but I feel like I somehow contributed to her having it because she said she never had it before me. Uh, Terry, Terry, thank you so much for your question. Um, great question. Um, really, borderline personality disorder. So just to give an overview, it occurs when people feel like they're in crisis. And so when you feel like you're in crisis, you start to create crises around you to make sense out of everything. So you might see someone who all of a sudden they're, they're, they're creating a problem when you didn't think a problem existed. And this is challenging. And what happens is, neurologically, what happens is your brain vibes at a higher level. So let's say one is a very calm, normal, functioning brain, and ten is in a crisis state, like a, a fire breaks out, you jump up to eight, nine, ten. People who struggle 
with uh, borderline personality disorder have a tendency for their brain to vibe at about a four or five. And so they feel like they're in crisis. And when you feel like you're in crisis, you start to create those crises around you, which is no surprise, Terry Ann, when you phrase, uh, I know she passed her genetics on to me, but I feel like somehow I contributed to her having it. So somehow your mom has made you feel like you're the reason she has an internal psychological struggle. And that must be very challenging to live with somebody like that, to understand that at any moment um, it could escalate to a 10, and they're living at a 4 or 5. Most of us don't live at a 4 or 5. We're fortunate to maybe live at a 1 or 2 on, right. on, most, on most days. When you're at a 4 or 5 and the smallest thing can put you at a 10, um, it's very volatile. And so that's very difficult to live with, live with. Um, and especially if you feel that it's passed on to you also. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I second the fact that yes, it is challenging to live with this. I think one of the, when you live with someone who has been diagnosed with, uh, borderline personality disorder, there is a tendency to feel like the, you're, that's the problem. You're, you're the problem. Now, that being said, I, I think we all do contribute to all of our interactions. Because one of the worst things that can happen is when someone's struggling with a psychological uh, uh, mental health uh, diagnosis that now people, everybody, oh, well, now it's all your fault. Like everything that happens is your fault. And so that's not healthy either. So there's a balance there for sure. There's definitely a balance there. And that's nothing is all or never. You mentioned that in the book also, right? It's not as though it, it, every day or never are very, very rare statements. <laughs> right. Everything is gray. There's very little black and white. Not everything is always true. Not everything is never true. Um, and so understanding that there is very little room for that in, in conversation and relationships is key. Obviously, very challenging when you're dealing with mental health because they may not perceive it that way. And I think that's one of the biggest issues with BPD is that when you're at a 10, it is all or nothing. And that's very, very hard to live with and to interact with when it's your family member. So that's a good, that's a really good point. When people are struggling with that, there is a tendency to rely on extreme language and the, the, psychological term is called splitting. Um, Carl Jung actually coined a term in antiodromia, which is literally just running in the opposite direction. And it means we go from one extreme to the other. And there is that te- a tendency for people who are struggling with, and, and even if we go beyond the diagnosis and just kind of call it crisis prone individuals is the way I've kind of uh, phrased it recently, crisis prone individuals recently for the last 15 years, I guess. <laughs> I, I know I'm getting older. You know, I have these glasses on. I'm, uh, you can't see on radio, um, but I'm wearing glasses. I just got them. And uh, part of it is the adjustment because my eyesight is, I, I'm not used to them yet. Starting to fall. We're all going to get there. I was just saying <laughs> while we were at the break here that you know, I wear contact lenses every day. I feel like at some point I'm going to need reading glasses, and that's just going to happen. It's a fact of life. My dad has reading glasses. I mean, it's just there's no doubt it's going to happen at some point. I, I have them right now, and you can see distance, and you can also see short, so it's the, the bifocals, and I'm not used to them yet. And now, I bring this up because you and I talked about this uh, before the show started, which is the concept that letting people know what's going on with you is a game changer. To be able to say, hey, listen, if I'm looking like I'm looking at you funny right now, it's because I'm trying to figure out which part of the glasses to even see you out of. Right, right. the bottom part seems blurry because right. I'm far away, right? So you can't even figure out. I never really figured out how people wear bifocals anyway. Like, it, it doesn't make sense to me. But anyway, so yeah, letting people know how you feel on a given day. There's, we do this intuitively without even thinking about it, right? If you walk into work on a, um, you know, on Monday or Tuesday, 
People say, hey, man, how was your weekend? You say, oh, I was okay. I'm a little under the weather right now. We, we don't do it to gain their sympathy and be like, oh, that's, that stinks. You have a cold. I had a cold once, too. Right. No, it's not for that. It's just, it's, you're almost asking permission to say, look, I, I kind of might be a little bit of a jerk today. Um, and it's not because I don't like you or because I don't believe in what we're doing here today or because I'm a bad colleague, but rather physically, I'm not feeling great. And you took it to the next step and saying, well, maybe you should just, people may not pick up on that piece of it just to say, Maybe instead of saying, I'm feeling under the weather today, you should say, hey, I may not be myself today because I'm feeling under the weather. I don't want you to take it personal. Um, I'm just going through something physically, and that's the deal. And if you lay it out for people explicitly, um, you might get a pass. And, and vice versa, if somebody that you work with on a regular basis or that you interact with is acting out of sorts or acting differently, perhaps being a little short with you, Maybe that's what they're going through. Exactly. So taking the time to know that. And we talk about this before as well. Assuming the positive, like assuming that there's a reason why something's happening. It's not because it's out to get you. If someone's short with you, it could be that they feel very agitated. They could be in pain. You see this all day, every day. People are in pain and they are agitated. They're irritable. Right. People are mad and and, and because it hurts. That's it. We have to give people in our practice... The benefit of the doubt. Nobody comes, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, oh, I'm going to go sit in the pain doctor's office this afternoon for half an hour in the waiting room and then go sit in a room for 20 minutes for the doctor to come in and then, you know, deal with the doctor and go home and waste four hours of my day because it's fun. Right. It's, not, it's not like going to Kennywood. Right? It's not like going to a movie. It's not like going out to eat with your family. It's something that you have to do and it hurts. You're actually physically in pain. That's why you're there. So when patients come and things don't go perfectly, and they're a little bit irritated or short, we do our best in our practice to give people the benefit of the doubt, to give them a smile. Um, we answer the phone and we say, how can we enhance your quality of living today? And we mean it. It is not just about a pain score from 0 to 10. I tell patients I don't care about that number. I have to have that number to build the insurance company for the visit. Right. However, I care about what their quality of life is. And I recognize that when they come to our office, they may, they're not going to be bringing their best self necessarily. We take people at their worst. So that's it. Giving people that pass because of physical issues is so important. You know, you mentioned the scale, and I remember my first learning experience as a counselor. I did a scaling 1 to 10 with a guy, and I said, so you're at about a 5. Where would you like to be? And he paused, and he said, I guess by next week I'd probably like to be at about a 5.3. And I was I wasn't even thinking of the decimals. I wasn't thinking of him right. doing that. But it helped shape the way I saw these are subjective numbers. Yes, they give outside data, but they're really subjective numbers because it could mean something different to everybody. Right. We don't know what pain feels like or anxiety feels like or any of those mental, physical emotions feel like in somebody else's body. We may have felt pain of a 10. We may have had anxiety or depression at a 10. We may have felt those things, but we don't know what it's like in somebody else's body. So when somebody gives you a number, it means something. And if you ask them what their goal is, you try to get them there. Maybe you have someone in your life who is struggling with pain and you're wanting to understand it. We have an expert in studio with us tonight, Dr. Nishant Gandhi, pain specialist. If you have a loved one who's struggling with pain, maybe you don't know how to deal with them. Maybe you're tired of, uh, the, what they're saying and you, and you're, you're fed up. Maybe what you're feeling a certain way. 866-391-1020 is the number. Give us a call. Let's talk about it. We got a whole lot more coming up on emotional management on KDKA radio. So grateful to have you with us tonight. Um, I'm grateful too in studio. 
Dr. Gandhi's here with me, uh, pain specialist. So let's talk about veterans, veterans for a minute. Uh, a lot of veterans out there are struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder where, you know, this is an experience where imagine that you went through a tremendously difficult experience and then months, years down the road, something happens, triggers, and puts you right back in that spot. Right. You're reliving it uh, at the most inopportune times without your control, right? We talk about being on edge or being at four or five, right? That's what it feels like to people that are experiencing PTSD. They have no idea when it's coming. Um, certain things that they see on a daily basis when they come back to their, like, quote, normal lives here um, stateside can just trigger this experience that puts them right back where they were where they saw something awful or experienced something awful, it's not really under their control, and they can get help for it, but sometimes that help isn't enough. Right, and and it is really challenging because a lot of a lot of veterans will say, well, if you haven't been through it, there's they're skeptical of how you're going to accept them, whether or not you're going to believe them and understand or be understanding. Um, and so there are the the suicide rate you're telling me is. It just absolutely... It's, it's staggering. So in 2017, 6,100 veterans died from suicide. Uh, the numbers currently are 17 a day. Jeez. Um, and the, the VA has made a lot of efforts in the last couple of years in response to those numbers to increase their access to mental health. Some of it is working, some of it isn't. But I think for us, for those of us that uh, you know, I have not served, for those of us that aren't veterans, and for those of us that treat them, the important thing to understand is to put those numbers into your head and understand what they're going through is tremendous. Um, the sacrifices they've gave are tremendous, um, and what they're going through when they come back is not easy. And if you look at them through that lens, it can help us identify with them and make efforts to validate what they're going through. It's it's heartbreaking to hear that, to hear that number. This is gut-wrenching to think. Someone put his or her life on the line, did everything, gone through everything, then comes back and is struggling so profoundly. And here, here's my analogy, because there's, there, there becomes judgment around people and suicide. And I, and I say, like, if you remember 9-11, when people, uh, were, the building was on fire and people had to get out of the right. building, like, that's what happens psychologically. When you're in so much pain, you think, how do I get out of this pain? Now, there is a way out. You know that. I know that. But when people feel like there's no way out, that's when they, tend to go through with it they they go through with that so the goal is to give them hope and as many times as you can whenever you interact with somebody who's been through something like that whatever the source may be validate them believe them and give them hope yeah i love that let's go to the uh let's go to the phone lines and Susie from cleveland you're on emotional management yes what you're saying is so true but i didn't know the numbers were that staggering um, I have family members that, you know, were in the Vietnam War and came home with PTSD and post-traumatic stress disorder. And it's not so much that veterans, I've talked to a lot of them, um, they feel like, well, nobody's going to understand. There was a um, program this woman, she did on CNN Heroes um, some years back to train service dogs for them. Mm. Whole families need to stay connected to it because for me, they are heroes. And for them to feel like the only way out of this feeling that they're right back there, is suicide, and that 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 something should be able to be done about that. I don't, I don't know all the the answers to it, but it would seem like to me if they could connect with family members and let them know that they're feeling. First of all, when somebody wants to commit suicide, they're not going to tell you. 
it's just that's how sad this is. Those numbers are just staggering. So what but, we need, so what we need to do as oh, uh, for we need to be able to maybe reach out and right. when we see people struggling, reach out and mm-hmm. and there is a way to tell when someone's struggling. You know, physically. Yeah. Um, Doctor Gandhi was talking about this early in the show. Like when he comes in, he sees patients. There's a way for him to tell when they're struggling, and and right. what I think it is is we pick up on the physical. The, you know, the emotion, people emote physically. Oh, yeah. Right. It's, a, it's they, like they, the emotional side of it that, that needs addressed. Right. And, yeah. and that is, that's very challenging as a clinician who treats veterans, um, mm-hmm. both myself and Dr. Conti, to pick up on those emotional cues God and bless physical you for cues. That. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's an important part of what we do. Um, right. I spent three, three years working at a VA hospital. Mm-hmm. And so for me, you know, understanding that everybody that's there has gone through something, everybody that's there probably has PTSD in some form or another. If right. you can look at somebody through that lens and say, well, uh, this person's experiences are certainly uh, more than I've ever experienced, well, and, well, and when treat my, them when like my that. Two brothers came back from Vietnam. They did two tours. They enlisted. So, but when they did come back, everybody's thinking everything's fine. No, it wasn't. Mm, right. They would wake up with the nightmares and memory memories like, what's going on? They were actually reliving all of that. So, but to understand it, I used to talk to them. I said, why are you feeling like that? It feels like I'm right still over there. Mm, and right. I understood it. But not to be in it, I understood it. And family members were like, okay, well, being over there and ingesting Agent Orange, which is a weapon of mass destruction, and having post-traumatic stress disorder on top of that, you come home and you feel like, okay, I'm on the GI Bill, everything's good, and everything like that. And it's talking to them that made me understand. My two brothers, Harry and Harvey, went, did two tours back-to-back. I was scared to answer the phone because for me, and I tried to understand where they were coming from, and I understood it on a level, I guess, I just talked to them. Well, why? Do you feel like it would be better not to even live? They told me that at one point. Yeah. It's just sometimes I just feel like it would be better. I said, well, why? You know you'll devastate the family. They said, because reliving it. It's like a nightmare that just keeps running over and over. So the VA hospital had things in place. I don't know what kind of medication that they had were on at the time, but ingesting Agent Orange caused them to just deteriorate to nothing. My mom had to bury the, you know, bury yeah. the picture on the casket. That's, that's detrimental. That is just... To me, this, and I have to tell the my emotional mom, said, pain just echoed through yeah. your whole family. It oh, echoed I mean, through your it whole reverts. family. Yeah, it um, it makes you feel like I just you just want to reach out to all veterans and say, hey, but that you can't is so sad that people don't understand when they come home. It's like they're still there. There well, were days they have well listen, I, we, I, we, got, we are coming up against a break, but okay. I, Susie, I appreciate you so much calling in. I appreciate your, you too. Your energy is awesome. Okay, someone can just help them because. For me, they're heroes. They'll have a good good evening. Thank you so much. You too. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's um, a great word, heroes, by the way. We haven't used it yet, but I think uh, Susie really put put the right word into it. They are heroes. If, you, if you've if made that sacrifice uh, to defend our country, you're a hero. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think sometimes with family members, with our most the closest loved ones, we downplay what other people are going through because we don't want to see them in pain. So we think, now nah, you're not really going through that. Or we try to fix it. Well, let me just, here, just do this, this, and this, and you'll be better. But you don't fix emotional pain that way. No, it doesn't work that way. Uh, it requires systematic validation and listening over and over and over again. If you're a family member, you live with this person, you see them every day, every other day, or every week, whatever the case may be. It's more about listening and validating than it is about trying to come up with a solution. Sometimes people just need to talk about their pain a little bit and you need to listen to it. You may not have a solution. There may not be one. It doesn't matter. As a family member, all you can do is support. 
That's the key. There might not be an answer. It might just be that we're there with the other person. Right. So I'll, I'll never forget a young man came in my office one time. His father had been murdered uh, the night prior or two nights prior and just sitting with him. I, I could, there wasn't a word I could say. I left my seat. I went and sat down on the couch next to him. He was probably 15, 14, 15 years old. I went and sat down on the couch next to him. I don't know that we spoke that whole first session. I ended up being super close with him. But that initial session, like, what was there to say? Like, I'm here with you. Like, this is painful. It's painful. But that's sometimes that's what we need. Look, we have so much to get to. When we talk about pain, if you're struggling with pain, if you're struggling with um, wanting, how do I deal with this stuff? How do I deal with family members who are in pain? We have an expert. I mean, really somebody that I trust, somebody that I think the world of. I'm so grateful he's in studio with us, Dr. Nishant Gandhi. So definitely give us a call. 866-391-1020 is the number. But I do want to say, I want to just share real quick at the at the top of the, at the end of this first hour, the website and where people can find you. So uh, it's www.painandspinespecialist.com. Uh, we have offices in Bridgeville. Washington, Greensburg, Connellsville, and Pleasant Hills, and we'll, we'll be opening up an office in Uniontown uh, in the next couple of months. It's fantastic. And the number is 724-603-3560 to make an appointment. we got a whole bunch coming up. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. This is Emotional Management on KDKA Radio. So grateful that you're joining us tonight uh, in studio with me, Dr. Nishant Gandhi, uh, pain and spine specialist. Uh, so grateful to have you on the show. So great to be here, Dr. Conti. Uh, it's really a pleasure to be in studio with you. So we're talking veterans. We're talking about unseen pain. You just read a brand new book, Walking Through Anger. I did read a brand new book called Walking Through Anger by Dr. Christian Conti, PhD. <laughs> uh, it was fascinating reading. Uh, for me, it was an easy read. It was something that resonates with me uh, to the very core of my being, to the way that I try to practice my life, and uh, both as a physician, uh, as a father, as a husband, um, and as a member of society. What I think, what I tr- wanted to do, and I'm, I feel uh, proud of, and I think I'm able to do it, I think this book can help people. Like, you could read this book and say, how do I handle this situation differently? Like, let me come away with something. So as a professor for years, when I taught, I would say to students at the end of every class, what are you taking away from today's session, or class? Or if I did it in counseling, too, what are you taking away from today's session? And what I by doing that, it would force people to be intentional to say, when I'm in this class, I'm going to be intentional. When I'm in this therapy session, I'm going to be intentional. Try to learn. And with this book, when you read it and you start to go, you go, wait, what am I learning? What am I taking away? And right. I try to do that in every chapter. I give you something to take away. And that's the mindfulness part of it, right? In every chapter, you uh, relate giving advice based on your experiences and your training and also what has worked for you in the prison system and in counseling sessions. And then at the end of every chapter, you summarize it just just to say, okay, these are the key points, right? You may have skimmed this. You may have skimmed that. Here are the points I want you to take away from this, going piece by piece you know, and getting through yield theory um, in a very systematic fashion. I was grateful that you liked the watermelon story. Yeah, so the wa- the watermelon story is great. Uh, if you haven't read the book yet, I recommend picking it up. It's on Amazon.com. Um, you should buy it. You will. You should read it. You should apply it to your life. Um, there are a lot of um, amusing and uh, wise anecdotes that Dr. Conti shares in the book. The one that stuck with me the most um, is a story about a watermelon. Um, and so I'll let you tell it. So, Your story. Well, there was uh, a man. He stumbles into this land, um, this ancient land, and these these people were kind of this, a foolish group of people, and they were all upset. They said, "There's a monster in the village. There's a monster in the village." 
And so the guy walks over. He says, well, where's this monster? And they take him out to the edge of a field. They don't see, he doesn't see anything. There's just a watermelon sitting there. So they said, no, well, there it is. And he said, what, that? That's not a monster. And he walks over and he smashes the watermelon in half. He takes a bite out of it. When he turns around, the people are pale as ghosts. They're like, oh, my gosh, he's worse than the first monster. He killed it and ate it. So they take their pitchforks. They drive him out of town. They get out of here. Well, about a year later, another monster grows up in the town, and another stranger stumbles into the land. And this time, this stranger, when they people say, there's a monster, he goes to the edge of town. He looks. He sees. He sees it's a watermelon. He knows it's a watermelon. But, and here's the key, he knows that they don't know it's a watermelon. So when he looks at it, he's afraid, like, oh, my goodness. So he starts to run away from it, starts to go toward it, starts to bring them with him. Eventually, he touches it, they touch it, and he becomes known as the great watermelon slayer. Right. So <laughs> the end result's the same. He still breaks open the watermelon, and they all eat it. But then he teaches them that's not a monster. Yeah. And it's the only way – and then they grow more watermelons, and they eat them. And the only way they're able to do that is because he takes that extra step, the critical step – of relating to them yes, and understanding where they're coming from before showing them his knowledge. And that's what we do in the office, right, in our office. We, we make sure that patients understand that, yes, we know a lot of things that we can do for your pain when you come, but if we don't relate to it, if we don't try our best to understand your pain and where you're coming from, I, I will tell patients this all the time. I've probably said this a hundred times, maybe more than that. I can read every fancy book. I can do every residency. I can go to every medical school. There's no way that I know what it's like to feel pain inside your body. Mm. And if I can say that to somebody honestly and truly because yeah. it is the truth, yeah. right? It doesn't matter if I say it or not. It's the truth, right? right? They understand that I want to I want to understand what, what they're feeling, and that's the only way that I can help them. And then I can use my knowledge and training and, and the tools that I've learned to help them get better slowly. So the difference is subtle and profound. Instead of you basically saying to people, get over it, it's just a watermelon, you're saying, okay, tell me what you're seeing that's scary about this this creature. Right. What is so scary about it? Why does it bother you so much? Uh, does it keep you up at night? What, what are the emotional responses it triggers in you? And how can we conquer those things together with me showing you that I'm able to sit down at your level and listen to what you have to say about it? So the challenge most people encounter is the shoulds. Well, you should understand, or I shouldn't have to, or this. And and, and the should, the world of shoulds, I'm telling you, this is a world of pain. And we, we, let's tie it into veterans. Uh, someone who's a veteran might say, you know, that people should understand a little bit more what we're going, what the, or respect this more. And even if we agree with that should, it's still a should. It's still a should. And you mentioned in the book, right? You call it the the the, the cartoon world, right? We all have kind of two worlds that we live in. We have a world that we actually inhabit, which for whatever reason can be very challenging to see, uh, despite our best efforts, despite having the self-awareness to know that uh, we live in a world that's in front of us, we tend to live and gravitate towards this cartoon world where we've created a picture of the place that we live and, and make it pretty when it needs to be pretty and make it angry when it needs to be angry. And it's just a reflection of what our emotions are on that given day or given moment or given circumstance. And that world is very unique to us. Yes. And so others don't see that cartoon world that we portray and that we see, and we don't see their cartoon world either. The key is to remove yourself from the world that we're, that, that we put our own emotions on top of and live in the world that actually is. People always say it is what it is. And that's become a very cliche and probably sometimes annoying phrase to hear from time to time, but it's the truth, right? The world just is. 
we have to do our best to understand the world and the construct that it is. So I, I really want to kind of highlight that piece that is I completely identify with, and that is someone can say, well, that's trite. Well, it is what it is. What does that even mean? But it's very deep, actually. It is what it is. It is the reality that you're facing. Now, the question is, are you going to be willing to face that reality? Or are you going to keep trying to force everybody into the cartoon world? This is how people should live. And people get so mad. Well, they should have. I don't care. My ideas are right. They should listen to me. Listen, that's that's your cartoon world. It's right. not reality. You can bang your fist on a table as much as you want. <laughs> you can bang your head against a wall as much as you want. You're just going to get a headache and your hand's going to hurt. Nobody's going to conform necessarily to the way that you want to do it. You have to make an effort to understand where other people are coming from, even though they may be living in their own cartoon world, understand their cartoon world. Right. And and try to merge your circles together and see that the reality that you see is not the reality that somebody else sees. And when people can do this, like in my own life when I learned to do it, when I teach people, when I see it, a light bulb go off, it's you can't unsee it. Once you see it, once you realize, wait a minute, I have been forcing people into this cartoon world. He shouldn't have cut me off like he's doing it to you. Like it's like he drove miles of traffic just to find you and cut you off. Right. It's not deliberate. You <laughs> right. don't have to take it personally. Um, and then the other piece that, you know, I think you mentioned in the book, too, and you and I talked about it before the show, you know, in in efforts to understand others. You have to be very careful not to make assumptions. Mm. Uh, you, you don't necessarily know what somebody else has been through. You may have had a similar experience. Maybe you experienced loss, death of a family member, uh, you know, severe pain, whatever the case may be. It's still – it's not theirs. So if you make too many assumptions, especially when the the conversation is, is antagonistic, they're going to get defensive and tell you – focus on telling you how their situation is different than yours, and that just drives it apart further. You can You can help. You can try your best to understand, but listening and validating is way more important than you know, relating a shared experience in most circumstances. And most of the time when we try to, sh- to relate the shared experience, it, we might be well-intentioned, but a lot of times it's about the ego. Like, I want to show you I understand when the reality is what is maybe more effective is just to listen to what the person's saying. Right. They, they may not necessarily want to hear about your similar problem. They need to vent about theirs. So... Understanding when it's valuable to share and when it's not valuable to share is important. So I have a great thing exercise for all our listeners to to test out. In the next day or so, if someone shares something with you and you have the urge to hurry up and tell them your side to identify, just pause, validate them a little bit more, and see if they keep going because maybe they weren't ready to hear your side yet. Maybe they did have more to get out about their story. Hey, we have a whole lot more to get out on this show, a whole lot more tonight. 866-391-1020 is the number. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. This is Emotional Management on KDK Radio. Welcome to Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. So grateful to have Dr. Nishant Gandhi in studio with me tonight. Pain and spine specialist. Uh, you you help people manage pain for a living. So day in, day out, my show's emotional management and people struggle with emotions. We all struggle with emotions. We all struggle at times. What you see is people in, in pain, at the, sometimes in their worst moments of struggling. Before we even get there, I'm just going to give a little shout-out to whoever uh, chose that intro music there. That was Dinosaur Jr. I love Dinosaur Jr. That's awesome. That's um, fantastic. I love the intro music. <laughs> yeah, intro music in. is great. Um, yeah, I, we, we see people at their worst. Uh, it is uh, very challenging for somebody to get up in the morning and come to a pain office, and uh, I appreciate that every time I see a new patient. It is not something that they want to do. It's something that they feel like they have to do. 
So we take people at that level, right, at, at almost desperation, many at desperation, and try to make them feel better about the decision they made to come there, which is the first part, and that's the validation. You made the right choice to come here. You're in the right place. I tell people that all the time. You're in the right place. That makes them feel better about the decision they made to come in. And then number two, listening to what they have to say. Share their story. I got I got time. People say, oh, I'm so sorry. You're so busy. I, I feel like I'm wasting your time. You're not wasting my time. My job is to listen. Yes, I prescribe medication. Yes, I do injections. I do all those things. That's 5% of the job. 95% is me listening and talking. So I'm not wasting – you're not wasting my time. This is my job. It doesn't matter how busy I am. You have as much time as you need. And then once I validated and listened – now we're in a place where we can come to shared decision-making. There may be many options. It's a massive flow chart when somebody has an issue like back pain to, to come up with a plan to say, well, what are we going to do next? A lot of it depends on what they've had done before they've, they've come in. If, they, if they've had surgery before, if they've had this pain for a long time, if, if the pain is going down their leg or if it's not going down their leg, whatever the case may be, we have so many, a plethora of options to explore. I don't even do that. In the beginning, though, because then I'd be like the guy who smashed the watermelon. Right, right. right. I, I, sure, that's what every doctor does, right? We come in with our knowledge, with our books and our fancy stuff all inside of our head and walk in um, and, and do that. And of, sure, of course, patients are going to do those things, but the relationship's not going to be there. I have to build the relationship first and show them that I'm willing to sit down at their level and hear their problems. And then I've earned that trust to make the decision with them. I don't, I don't usually like to take, uh, compliments. Sometimes it's hard to take compliments, but I gotta tell you a compliment because I think that presence of your, your presence is very comforting because you don't lead with judgment. You lead with compassion. And I think that's why I would encourage patients to come in and see you, uh, because they're gonna have, they're going to have someone who leads with compassion. That's enormous when people are coming in with this pain. You mentioned about courage. I had a woman one time, 20 years ago. I first started counseling. She came in my office, struggled with anxiety. I was, she said, she was shaking. I said, what's going on? She said, I have so much anxiety. I have been to five other counselors and it hasn't, it hasn't worked. It's been an awful experience. And I said, you, do you realize the courage that's inside of you that you went to five counselors, didn't get what you were seeking and still had the courage to come see number six? Right. I, I hear that all the time. You, you're the third pain doctor I've been to. I've been to this guy. All he wanted to do was give me a medication. I've been to this guy. All he wanted to do was injections. Yeah. I also write medications and do injections. How is this going to be different for this soul that's sitting in front of me? Mm. What can I do to make this experience better for them? I can't guarantee it's going to be better for them. They may still have pain afterwards. I may not make it go away. I probably won't make it go to zero. But if I listen build a relationship, I can make this third visit or fifth visit, as the case may be, a little bit better for them. My job on that first visit is to make them believe that I have a chance to do that. Mm. And, and what I can provide is different than what they've already had before. You have probably done the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I've tried to provide a safe space for people. I say, if I can make myself, I, I feel like my superpower is non-judgment. I can look at people and say, I have no judgment for you. You know, and I work with people who do some of the most awful things in society in maximum security prisons, say that they're there for a reason. They're on death row for a reason. But one thing I say is I can't change the past. I can't change one second of it. So I'm not going to sweat it. What I'm going to say is I would t I'll often say to people, I don't care what you've done. I care what you do from this moment forward. Right. Because this is the only time we can actually do anything about. Right. We, we, 
we can go to the past and we can learn from it, but we can't certainly can't change it. There's absolutely no way to look back and say, okay, well, we could have done this differently. That doesn't really change anything because all we have is the current moment, mindfulness, and the willingness on both our parts to take the next step forward, whatever that case may be. Um, the, the past just gives us a place to know, okay, what has worked and what hasn't worked. And in my field and in your field, to learn from that, right, the most thing, most important thing we can do as clinicians is learn from our patients. So learning about the past is certainly key, but rehashing it over and over again and going back there is is counterproductive. That's but th- th- so there is a vast difference between learning from the Absolutely. past and trying to live back there. Absolutely. I had a woman one time who was struggling with letting go, letting go of uh, the past, and what I said to her was, let's say that the one side of the room represents the past, the other side of the room represents the future. Um, and this chair is in the present moment. So I said, let's turn and face the wall and as if you're facing the past. And I had to turn and f- chair and face the wall. And I said, no, just imagine, as long as you want to stay focused on the past, let's focus, let's sit facing this direction. And this was a really powerful experiential uh, exercise with her because she did it for about five to seven minutes and then got up and said, I'm done facing this. I said, great, let's face the future now. Let's face the future. Right. So that small physical exercise puts it in perspective, right? And we talked about this before the show, right? If people are in a moment and they're having a uh, a bunch of emotions that are counterproductive or not working, right? Sometimes you have to really kind of stop to interrupt that process and, and make it so they see what they're actually doing. And that's a perfect example of that sort of exercise. They go, stare at this wall as long as you want. Not right. rushing you. Right. You can stare here for half an hour. It doesn't matter to me. But recognize that what you're doing is just as productive as staring at this wall. Right. And when that happens, it's, the change comes up. Look, there is still plenty of time to call in. 866-391-1020 is the number. Dr. Gandhi's awesome. He's here with me. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. This is Emotional Management on KDKA Radio. Kick it. All right. Here it is. Well, I mean... Ashley's shaking her head at me. Well, the intro music today is something awesome. special, isn't it? I yeah. love it. I get so pumped up to 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 for the intro music. Um, I always wish I was musical. Like I always think I could like come in with like a a rap or a song or something there, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> stick to your day job. I'm right? My, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm gonna stick to my day job. So, um, one of the things we we were talking about tonight, um, you know, I'm feel grateful that you took the time to read my new book, Walking Through Anger. Um, I felt kind of blown away. The, the publisher reached out to me today saying it's still, um, number one new release on, uh, Amazon. So that was really cool to see. Um, but I, I believe this book can help people. Let's say, like, one of the things we were just talking about is the idea of being mindful of your physical presence. So our physical presence plays a role and we might not mean to be intimidating. We might not be meaning to come across a certain way, but if we are physically, intimidating people are picking up on that People pick up on it right i mean you and i could not look different physically right you're you're a big dude you got tattoos you're you know whatever i'm a small short indian man right um however in a patient room when they're sitting in a small chair and if i walk in and i'm a little bit too close to them and i look down at them while talking to them that is completely different than pulling up a chair and sitting next to them yep and that's very very small stuff that if you're not thinking about it, it's not going to occur to you naturally necessarily. Saying, well, you know, for this five or ten minutes that I have with this person, how can I make them feel as comfortable as possible? Right? I've said it over and over again about validation and listening. That is so much more effective when I take the time to be aware of what my 
physical body language uh, projects to the person. I don't cross my arms. I sit down next to them in a chair. I look them in the eye. Eye contact is so important. Yep. Um, I mean, obviously, and you mentioned in your book, sometimes if it's if it's a very you know escalated circumstance, it can be actually detrimental. But for the most right, part, right, right. for the most part, when you're having you know a productive conversation, it's very important to look somebody in the eye. You don't want to look away. You don't want to stare up or down at the ceiling or down at the floor. No, um, and you're well, first of all, you're a you're 100 percent right, and that comes from my experience of. You know, I specialize working with people convicted of violent crimes. Right. And I've had some run-ins with people where they were intoxicated or, you know, they were, they weren't of sound mind in the moment and staring at them in the eyes would have escalated it quickly. Shut it up, right. So, <laughs> right. And shut it all the way up to the roof to a 10. Um, and so again, being aware of when it's important and when it's not. But in, in my field, generally, the eye contact is positive. But I can't be looking down at them either. So, um, and that that awareness is so important uh, in what I do. And so, so veterans out there who, uh, you know, you train to fight, you train, you're you're tough, you're physically tough. And there are moments, people could pick up on that physical toughness, and that's scary to people. As you said, as a as a physician, as a doctor, people come in, that's intimidating. So just being able to recognize that and understand what role you're playing. I think that's so – to understand your presence and the impact of your presence, not downplay it. Right, and if you're if you're trying to get as much as you can out of a conversation, whether for you it's a therapy session or working with a prisoner or a guard or a bunch of prisoners or a bunch of guards, or for me with a patient, right, I have to be efficient with that time. I have other patients that need my time also. So to, to make them feel comfortable with what we're going to talk about, um, the physical part of it, it's subtle, but it, it matters. Um, and you might be able to get more out of somebody – um, in a small amount of time if you show them that you're on their level physically. And I tell uh, men this a lot because I do a lot of work with domestic violence. So I tell men, to if you're having a disagreement, sit down. Because, again, standing over top of somebody. Now, we can take this to all parents because think about if you're parents of small children and you stand over top of them, again, you might you see your intention. So you're like, well, I'm not trying to be scary. But if you're standing over top of a child who's three feet shorter – that is scary. It is, and and that's you know I'm I'm a father. My my son's four and a half, and there's conflict. He's four right, and a half, right, and and you right. know he's a pretty good kid, but he's a jerk sometimes. He's and, a- and, and 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 because four and a half year olds are jerks sometimes. That that's just the deal. So how how does discipline happen? Right. right. Well, sure. We we our emotions get the most the most of us from time to time, and none of us are perfect. And uh, yeah, I've yelled at him before while standing up. But if it's going to be constructive, if it's going to be educational, if, if the discipline's meant to serve a purpose, which is don't do that again, or this is why you shouldn't do that again. Right. He's starting to grasp. I sit down next to him. I sit down on his bed next to him. We go into his room. We sit on his bed, and we talk almost eye to eye. It's much more effective. I get so passionate about that because I really buy into that. Like I always thought it was my job as a father to teach our daughter, like not uh, it's your fault, you did it wrong. Like you have, a, You just came into the world. Right. It's my job to guide you. And so I would really take great effort to say, let me see, how can I teach this so you get it? Because I, you know, I encountered people before who have said, I've, I've worked with some of the toughest guys in the world. And I remember there have been guys who've said to me, well, my kid's going to listen when I'm around. I'll tell you that much. They're not going to disrespect. I'm like, listen, they might listen when you're around, but are they taking that lesson when you're not around? Because they're acting totally different when you're not around. Absolutely. Right. You can say it loudly and scream it as much as you want. Is it effective in the moment? Maybe. Is it going to be effective a week later? I don't know. Right. It's all about how you communicate it, right? And and look, I'm the way with my son the way I am because my dad was the same with me. And his dad was the same with him, right? So 
we are not just doing it for our own children. We're doing it for their children too, possibly, right? right and that's right. and that's something you're, you're actually making generational decisions when you choose how to interact with your children. I, I have a, a book called Zen Parent, Zen Child, and I said a statement in there to the effect of um, what you whisper to your children in, in the quiet spaces is spoken loudly to the world in their actions. Right. So you think, you know, I can say this quiet, no one's around, but they're they're living that and the world's seeing that. Right. And just I'll give the plug here for Dr. Conti again. If you don't know <laughs> his background with regards to parenting, just go to YouTube and Google his name. You'll see many, many helpful videos. I've watched most of them with my wife myself. Um, you will find them very helpful in parenting. Um, and I think, you know, he, when we let our emotions get the best of us, um, usually things don't go well. Um, I think those types of negative emotions are amplified when it comes to rearing children. Um, and they perceive that we are not ourselves they get scared easily, um, and and being mindful of emotions is doubly important when it comes to children. You've mentioned the word mindful lots of times. It's a staple. It's one of the seven fundamental components of my approach. I think it's a gift. You know, I think people say it's a buzzword to some people, but what does that even mean? But you live it. So maybe talk just a little bit about like what mindfulness means to you because you're actually exuding it all the time. So mindfulness just means presence in what you're doing. There are several anecdotes you relate in your book that I've also read and heard. When you're doing something, you're just doing that. Um, the, the, the monk relates to the, the younger monk saying, well, you know, I eat my meals, I, I do my exercise, but I'm present in each moment. I'm not playing on my phone when I'm eating my meal. I'm not watching TV when I'm eating my meal. I'm just eating my meal. Examine yourself, if you're listening, and, and think to yourself how many times when you're eating, for example, you're actually doing something else. I will say that I'm guilty of it also, yeah, yeah. right? And and so I've eaten many meals by myself. We all have. How many times do you, you pull the phone out and start scrolling Instagram while you're doing that? We all do it. Yeah. Um, if you focus your life on doing your best to not do that, you might enjoy your meals more. It's And, and that can be extrapolated to everything that you do. It's not just eating, eating meals is a good example, but there are many things. If you're concerned with the future or the past while you're in a moment, you're probably not going to be present for that mm-hmm. moment. And it's about being present. And furthermore, if you're not present for that moment, especially when it involves another human being in a conversation, that individual will pick up on that. Like, hey, I, I told you that story. Uh, you, you, were you listening? I think there's an end on the book about that also, where you know a child says, shows something to the, the parent, and the parent's washing dishes and says, I heard you. And, and no, you didn't hear me. Actually, look at me. And so that's it, right? It, even a child can perceive when you're not fully paying attention. Imagine what an adult can who's lived 30, 40 years of life. They can perceive when you're not being mindful. It's fun to have a genius doctor in your studio who read your book and can quote stuff, and he's just pulling stuff out. I love it. So <laughs> I, I appreciate that a ton. Um, it is true. I think I tell that story about a little girl. Say, Mommy, you're listening. She, I am listening. No, but you need to listen with your eyes. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, and, and, and mindfulness is – you're right. It's awareness. And, and maybe you want to eat your meal and scroll through the phone, but be aware that that's what you're doing. Right, exactly. And, and if your children are coming up to you and, and you're distracted, be aware that you're distracted. Because if you could, at a minimum, catch yourself, go, oh, I am, I see that I am being distracted. I see that I am. And and I think small tools, right? Um, Many people that are listening, myself, you, we all have relationships with somebody we care about. Both of us are married. We have wives. And and so, look, I'm guilty of that. I Sometimes my wife's telling me some story about something, and I'm just playing on my phone, right? Uh, I try to put the phone down these days. Yes. Right? Just listen. 
how many moments you're going to get with this person, right? Is your phone really all that important? I'm guilty of it. Right, if right. I, we all I, are. If my wife called him right now, she'd probably tell you I'm still on my phone too much. But you know what? I'm better at it now. Why? Because I'm mindful of that. Right? Yes. I, 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 yes, I want to hear about your day. And I want to hear about your day to the fullest extent possible. Because I know that that's part of our relationship. To my, me to be there for your day. And, and you know what? When I need you to be there for my day, you're going to be there for my day too. If I'm playing on my phone, I'm not really doing a very good job at being there for you for your day. Um, that's why we're in a relationship. That's why we're married. Um, and so something that I work on. I'm not perfect. No, but, but we have to try. We have to try. And something, you know, I want, uh, there's a great line from the Tao Te Ching, which is in family life, be, be fully present. It, obviously, we're going to be distracted. Sometimes we need the phone to drift off and just zone out for a little bit. And that's right. okay if that's what we need in that moment. But you're right. If we really want to connect with our loved ones, taking time to just look them in the eyes. And I want to take time to say happy anniversary to my wife because next week is our 19th anniversary. Wow. Wow. Um, which is amazing because I'm 22, she's 21 still after all these years. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we have, we, we, have age, we have an age today. Right. Uh, no, but uh, you know, it's 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 amazing when we look at this. Um, it's interesting. You mentioned 21, right? So my dad married my mom when she was 21, and every year he gives her 21 roses. Oh man, that's her age, right? Uh, that was the age my wife and I got married. She was right. 21, but I I was older, but. Now she's going to say, why haven't you brought me 21 well, roses, roses all right, these years? Right, exactly. And I remember as a kid growing up, it was 20 roses every year. And why is it 21, Dad, when I was a kid? Well, that's the age your mom was when I married her. Right, they married in 1975, so you know it's been 44 years. So, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah, that's what a blessing. So, hey, we still got time. Eight six six three nine one ten twenty is the number. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. He's Dr. Nishant Gandhi, and this is Emotional Management on KDKA Radio. Welcome back. This is Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. Um, so, Dr. Gandhi, let's talk a little bit about how people can find you. Um, let's talk about your office locations, number, and how people can find you. Yeah, so we have uh, several uh, office locations throughout western Pennsylvania, uh, Bridgeville, Pleasant Hills, a little bit closer to the city, uh, Washington County, we have an office in Washington, Westmoreland County, we have an office in Greensburg, Fayette County, we have our largest office in Connellsville. We also are going to be opening an office in Uniontown in the next two or three months. And it's called Pain and Spine Specialists. And the website, you go, you type in painandspinespecialist.com. And then the number is 724-603-3560 to call and schedule an appointment. What can people expect? So when they call, they'll uh, meet one of our administrative staff on the phone, uh, have your insurance information, driver's license, things like that, your pain complaint, whatever medications you may or may not be taking, um, and which office you'd like to come schedule at. Most offices we can get you in within, within two weeks, sometimes even within a week or so. And I can I can tell you that you, when you get around Dr. Gandhi's presence, you're going to be like, oh, yes, he really is as genuine as I'm hearing him on the show um, so I definitely would encourage you to call and make an appointment. So it's Veterans Day. We've talked a lot about the the pain people have. Um, you know the different. We've gone. We've talked about different subjects. I, I want to kind of really emphasize uh, veterans who are struggling to please uh, reach out, reach out to somebody. I think so. So often, I and I encounter this a lot with with men. And obviously there are uh, phenomenal women veterans as well, but I'm just saying in terms of my experience with men where they say, well, I can't talk about something. That, that'll that make me weak to talk about it. 
and I say this, is it easy to talk about? And then people say no. And I say, okay, well, what makes somebody tough? Doing the easy thing or the hard thing? Oh, well, if it makes it tough doing a hard thing, then it's tough to open up. But it's worth doing. Right. It's just all you're doing with that you know, little exercise is changing perspective and giving people the opportunity to open up when they normally wouldn't. They may think that it's weak to bring it up. You tell them that, no, it's actually strong to bring it up. The hard way is the strong way. It is. It is. It's not easy to say, hey, this is what's going on, but here's what happens. When we say what's happening to us, we crystallize it. So when it's in our mind, it can get enormous. How big is anxiety? How big is depression? How how how, how painful is pain? Well, when we say it, now we put a size to it. Right. So even when we talk about that scale, is it on this scale? It's not a matter what the number is. It's a matter that it's a visual for somebody now. And then the same thing with talking it out. Sometimes, like let's say, for example, anxiety. With anxiety, you might create, if you're an intelligent person, you can create a pretty anxious story where you're saying, oh, no, this, oh, no, that, and your mind can go very fast. You're flying on a plane. You think, what are the what are the wings fall off? Right. <laughs> you're, you're you're catastrophizing. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I use that word. Uh, you use that word yes, in your book yes. also. Right. And that is, um, it, it's where anxiety goes. Uh, the worst the worst case scenario uh, seems realistic to you. Yeah. And and so knowing that that's what it is, knowing that you are catastrophizing, knowing that the worst case scenario is probably not going to happen, even just being aware of it can help reduce that a little bit sometimes just saying it out loud and then you say it loud and you wait oh that is what i'm thinking okay i guess that doesn't sound reasonable and it's not you're not wrong you're not bad you're not strange for thinking this it's pretty normal to think that your thoughts are not going to be accepted by others but once you say them i think you'll find and i have found this i've done this 20 years listening to people come in they're struggling once they say it, I'm going, this is, this is typical. And, and to normalize that for people and say, you know, this is not, you're not strange, you're not wrong, you're not bad. You do this for people all right. day. This is what it is, right? People have a pain complaint, whatever it is. I'm very quick to tell people, look, this is what we do here. Like I said before, you're in the right place. I do this all day long. Every patient that I have today has this sort of pain complaint. Again, it's the validation. Yeah. You give people that validation. Now, oh, well, I'm, what I'm feeling is not weird or this makes sense or it's not in my head. We talked about being in my head. People say that in a derogatory way to people with pain and also with mental health all the time because of the culture that we have currently, right, in 2019 in Western Pennsylvania. Yeah. It's not okay to have pain. It's not okay to have anxiety. And it's minimized because of where we live. So I remove that part as much as possible. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's fantastic. You love what you do, huh? I do. It's, uh, it's a blessing to be able to get up in the morning and help people. Uh, I, I'm grateful to have you on this show. Um, we, we, we're going to continue to have you back on. Uh, I, I'll come back anytime you'll have me, Dr. Conti. It's, it's, it's so fun because it's fascinating to listen. You, you've worked so hard. You know your craft so well. And it's, it's a gift when you've worked hard and then you're like able to just kind of let it, let it go now. And right. It just, it, it happens naturally for me most of the time. I do my best to learn from my patients. Um, the medical training that I've gotten has helped me along this far. I'm not anything without my patience, though. I tell you what, if you want to see him, and I think I think it's worth going to see him and have the experience. Uh, check out painandspinespecialist.com. Call seven two four six zero three three five six zero to make an appointment. Doctor Gandhi is honestly the best. Thank you so much for being. Thanks for reading the book. Of course, it was a it was a pleasure to read, and thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, we hope. 
week after week, we're going to have this show. It's emotional management. It's an opportunity for you to talk about what's going on in your life. I'm, I'm grateful to do this show, and I'm hopeful that it helps you in the get through your life and not just get through it, but to find peace. That's why I always wish you much peace. This is Emotional Management on KDK Radio. This is Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. I really enjoy you tuning in every week. Love the calls, the emails. Um, I feel blessed to be able to do this show. Really grateful that Walking Through Anger, this legacy book that I created, is out now. Um, it's a book that I think can help you. It's a hands-on, practical techniques. I love telling stories. So tonight you heard me with Dr. Gandhi. I told the watermelon, uh, the watermelon slayer story. If you like those type of stories, I tell these stories all throughout the book. Um, but what I think you'll find is a direct impact to your own life. You'll be able to say, I'm read something, I'll pick it up, and then how do I implement this right here, right now? And in terms of the stories, I love storytelling. And I've always been drawn to storytelling. So when I was young, my mom would tell me Aesop's fables. When I was real young, she'd tell me stories all the time. And she just got me to have such an affinity for storytelling that when I grew up, I just, I, I kind of dived into it. And it's something that I love to do. So I do it a lot in this book, Walking Through Anger. And then again, since this is a radio show, you can't really see your host. If you want to uh, see, see, see me or see more information I'm doing, go to YouTube. And on YouTube, type in Dr. Christian Conte, C-O-N-T-E. There are a whole bunch of videos on there that could be helpful for you from PTSD to anxiety to relationship to parenting to tons of stuff on anger management. The world is not easy. It's not easy to go through life. It's a struggle at times, and we certainly didn't learn this stuff in school, which is why I do this show, which is why I do the the YouTube channel. It's why I wrote that book, because I don't think that we get this stuff in school, and we all need it. We're all going to have emotions. We're all going to have communication. We're all going to have interactions. So every week, catch me here, 8 to 10 Eastern Time, Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. Love doing this show. I appreciate you listening, and I appreciate you tuning in. Until next time, as always, I wish you much peace.